I'd like to take this moment in time uh, before our podcast starts to officially wish Rufus Peabody a happy birthday. Um, you can tell throughout the episode, we record our uh, intros last because Rufus is antsy about me wishing him a happy birthday. So I will w- wish it to him now, which means I'm actually wishing it to him technically before our guest does and before lots of other people did because this happened in the intro. So happy birthday, Rufus. Um, this is his birthday edition and we have lots of good stuff. So with that, let's start the process. Bet the process. Bet the process. Welcome to the podcast. Bet the process. It's not that typical cookie cutter nonsense. If you came just for pics, you're in the wrong place. Find a town with the narrative to make a strong case. Instead of blindly assuming a team must be tanking, we're looking for the edge of Massey Peabody rankings. Crunching all the numbers in the simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. Welcome to another episode of the Bet the Process podcast where, I mean, just like old times, we're having technical difficulties. I can't get my microphone to work. Um, my name's Jeff Ma, and I'm definitely not a professional podcaster, although I play one on TV, and I'm joined as always by Rufus Peabody, who is the most feared sports better in the world, or at least feared by women in bars in New York. Is that right? No, not funny. Not funny. Kind of funny. Not you, funny. You feel very, you feel very sad today. Rufus is sad because I, it is his birthday, and I refuse to wish him a happy birthday uh officially but um how old do you turn rufus too old it's not a number 37 but jeff do you jeff do you remember this eight years ago maybe eight years ago you told me that in like five to ten years you would look younger than me because of your asian genes and the fact that i'm a white dude is that you said this well i mean i feel like we're at that point now do you look younger than me i do not look younger than you okay but do I, wish... I look but do I look 12 years older than you? Mm. Like if we went into a bar and we asked these women that fear you um who what's the spread in our ages what do you think the over under would be? I don't know but whenever I walk this. in when I walk into a place with my brother they're like which one of you is older and he's 6 years younger. They're like, you, oh my God, you all are twins. And I'm, we should, I'm always we like, should, yes, we, Rufus, I would be curious to see, like the next time we are in Vegas together, we should I'll do tell this. you. I'll tell you why you're going to win. Because people think that pe- two people that are hanging out together, they assume they're closer together in age, which is why I think that people think my brother and I are closer to the same age. I think that you tend to associate people together with being close in age. So I think because of, even if you looked over 12 years uh, older than me, I think people wouldn't say that. Do you think I look 12 years older than you? I I don't know. I don't know what most 49 year olds look like. I think you do know what most 49 year olds. You have a good head of hair. You got a little salt and pepper going on, but Mm -hmm. like, you know, good, like, do you, you know, your skin's okay. Um, (laughs) My skin's okay. I I mean, I'm just judging right now by like, maybe that's just the, the ring light. I don't know. I don't have any wrinkles, Rufus. None. Give me a smile. That's incredible. What? That you don't have wrinkles. I don't have wrinkles. It's okay. I'll it's, one day one day I'm gonna age about 50 years in a night and I'm gonna look my age and that will happen and it'll be sad for me and for all around me. Well, moving on, we have a great interview today scheduled with um, we, we don't have to start don't don't play the role of host, Rufus. That's not oh, your role. Your role is you're, to you're let the one me without the, the microphone working. Okay, I'll let I'll let I'll let you intro it, Jeff. No, we're not doing that yet, Rufus. That's the point. The first thing we talk about is what our tilted moment of the week is. And then we get into the guests. That's why I said, let me do the hard work. I'll leave it to the professionals. So what, what is, what was your, I mean, we haven't really talked about our dinner at G2E, your experience at G2E and whether you were able to fly home with your toiletries in your golf bag or not. The way you sound, it makes it sound like the, the planet from Star Wars. It's like Tatooine, G2E. G2E. I just want to say every time you say it, I feel like you're talking about some desert planet in the Star Wars ecosystem. How am I supposed to say it? I don't know. G2E. It, it, it just it, it only sounds that way when you say it though. But okay. You have anyways. Yeah. I, I as promised, I missed the dinner. 
No, you showed up late. Well, I you showed up remember? for I sh- I showed up at the. Were you blackout drunk? No, I showed up after dinner. Right. Yeah. So I missed the dinner. Everyone was awaiting you though, because it was a it was a really interesting dinner. Obviously. Yeah. We had the who's who. Of, someone said the who's who of sports betting was there. That's. Did you meet Andrew? Something. Did you meet the Matchbook guy? I don't think so. He's the founder of Matchbook. And David Owl said he's the best better that he knows. So, but you were too busy and you, you were in your Roxy, your Roxy. Oh, I think uh, I know you're well, yeah. I mean, look, one, one doesn't say no when Roxy asks you out to dinner. Okay. Um, what was your most tilted moment of the week? Um, I'll actually go with something on the betting front and I'll say betting against Tom Kim again and losing again. Like we had, I think, on the week we made, I don't know, a little bit of money on golf betting, but we had like 80,000 in matchups against Tom Kim, like against four different guys and all, and Tom Kim finished 26th or something like that. Like he wasn't at the top of the leaderboard, but he happened to beat everybody we bet on by between one and three strokes. So just one of those, uh, one of those, cause it feels like he's been taking our money. What about you? Uh, I don't know. There's a lot of candidates for this. Um, I didn't have a bad week last week. Actually, it was like kind of up and down. I, I told you I had Al, uh, the Tennessee money line, which was fun. We were, I was at a, um, that was a fun ending to the game. I, I was watching it while I was like, I was walking out on a walk and I just like that stadium was going crazy. Yeah. I was at a birthday dinner in, um, and I, uh, Friday late night decided it would be fun to bet Tennessee plus the eight and a half and to take some of them on the money line because I was like Tennessee's gonna and we've had this conversation this whole like out of the Calcutta this Tennessee underrated conversation because like Josh Heupel might be the key to what UCF was versus what we've seen Scott Frost look like he that he may have been overrated and, and given way too much of UCF. Do you remember success? when I said, do you, I mean, maybe it wasn't to you. I remember calling Caden being like, I think Massey Peabody's broken because we have Tennessee as the number seven team in the country, but going into the season. And I wish I had like, that was, I wish I had had that on text so I could send that, like have sent that. I don't know no, if we, I said that. We, we've, we've we talked, talked about, about this okay. with David Al and we talked about, them being an interesting sort of underrated team. I think we talked about this coming out of the Calcutta. That's why I thought like, for sure I was that so Massey Peabody was so yeah. high on them though. What's I thought for sure you had had Tennessee in the Calcutta, but you didn't actually. So no, because I was like the Calcutta required all these things that I had to do that I didn't get done. Yeah. But you, if you had them overrated and Massey Peabody, you should have just taken but them. If anyways. I was bidding against other people that thought they were overrated, they were underrated. That's basically well, what happened. That's what I mean, because we're in this little echo chamber of like people that, yeah. I don't think David outpaid that much money for them. So I think that he certainly did not pay for them as if they were the number seven team in the country. That's fair. But I, if I had only modeled like half of the stuff and not the other half, like I'm not going to be able to confidently. Yeah. I mean, you're saying I should have assumed the market was efficient enough. And so just gone until nobody else, until somebody said uncle. And then I got them. You could have also I mean, just one looked way at them. Doing it. You could have looked at them relative to other other teams that had been picked already, and kind of had some sort of an idea. I mean, again, like they were such an outlier in Massey Peabody that I'm surprised that you didn't have the conviction to get them. I mean, I I didn't get like anybody though. So you got NC State. I, 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 I was I showed up as the yeah. Um, I was just I was there. In, I was there. I you have NC State there. in Iowa, so there, there in you Western go. Kentucky. <laughs> there you go. So um, my most spot. tilted moment of the week, I think, was probably waiting for you to get to that dinner because everyone wanted to see you, and you were just in your Roxy Roxborough fog. So all my tilting always involves something that you do socially. Yeah, but guess what? Once I got there, like nobody was even talking to me. So I mean, I was, I, I no, I was talking to the people I was sitting next to, but. So I'm just, I think, I think actually the second tilted moment trying was trying to butter me up. You're trying to butter me up. The here. second tilted moment was when that you um, left the golf early and didn't hang out with us because of your flight. Or actually the tilted moment was when you actually texted me in the middle of the night and told me you weren't going to play golf. So these are all the real moments, right? Well, some of us, Jeff, have like actual responsibilities at work sometimes. And 
and because Overrated. of G, because of G2E, as Jeff says it, can't even um, say it right. Because of because of G2E, uh, you know, when you're when you don't have this, when you don't get the stuff done, you got you, sometimes you have to sacrifice fun. Yeah. But all right. Well, I, I now Rufus, we can I, welcome I thought, in. I, I was like, Jeff will never like, I mean, I felt like if I didn't show up to golf, it would, it, it would have been bad. I would never well, have lived it down with you, Jeff. It's okay. I was, I was fine with it. Whatever. Okay. Um, we now welcome in Andrew Wright, who is the uh, Fanatics um, SVP of trading. And so we'll uh, talk to you guys on the other side. We now welcome in Andy Wright, who is uh, the SVP of trading for Fanatics. Is that a correct term for you? Thank you, Jeff. Yep, that is good. Thank you, sir. I knew, saw that on your LinkedIn. Rufus did more research for this interview than he's ever done in his life, which means clicking on a LinkedIn link and finding out that you used to work for a sporting index. So before we jump into that, and obviously I did a little uh, LinkedIn stalking too, which I saw that you were an applied science major. Is that is that correct? Um, yeah, it was called management sciences, I think, but effectively a mashup of maths and economics and computing. Why is math plural in England? It's not plural anywhere else. There's more than one math to learn, I guess. I don't know. I'm out of my depth already, Jeff. Okay, so tell me a little bit about how someone from your background got into the world of bookmaking. Yeah, sure. So, um, I mean, I grew up in the UK, and you can tell from the accent, still living here. Um, I've always loved sports um, and being very mathematical rather than sort of creative. Uh, growing up, I was always interested just in numbers of, of stuff. So playing like soccer management games or playing, you know, whatever it might be um, on the computer as a, as a kid. So I was always sort of that way inclined to think about numbers and sport uh, and how they um, align with each other. When I left, when I finished my degree and, and um, I ended up getting a job in the city in London, working for like a hedge fund, doing sort of middle management, and then moved into equity sales. Did that for a few years, but I was always um, just far less interested in stock prices than I was like going to the to the local pub for lunch and, and basically like playing around on Betfair or playing around with, um, with sports spread betting, whatever it may be, trying to understand like why was a certain horse a certain price to win a race? Why was a certain team a certain price to win the, the Premier League or whatever it might be? So um, Basically, in about 2006, it was the middle of 2006, I sort of plucked up the courage just to leave that city job, which was pretty well paid, to be, to be honest, and start from scratch in the betting industry. So I'm like, I don't know, what would I have been, 25 at this time. So fairly, um, uh, you know, a fairly big jump from, from decent cash to basically minimum wage. Um, so anyway, I went to a company called Sporting Index. Uh, who at the time were probably the biggest sports spread betting business in the UK. Uh, and I ended up staying there for eight years. It was a, a really interesting learning curve, a very, very tough old school trading floor. Uh, everyone trying to get one up on each other, but they were experts in their fields. There's, you know, some, uh, some of my ex-colleagues from there are now dotted around the industry in different roles, but you learn an awful lot really quickly about compiling about being on your price everyone on the trading floor was trying to have a bet with you if your prices were off let alone the customers working out the difference between the right price mathematically and then also the trading price like where can i trade this uh, this market um what will our customers come and do as soon as i go live with it etc cetera, etc cetera. so anyway learn my, my trade there sporting index moved into a b2b provision so now called sporting solutions so they are powering sports books all over the world uh, and at the time, I'd sort of progressed up through the soccer team. Um, and so I was providing odds to multiple sports books in Australia, in Europe, um, in the UK. It's obviously pre-passport, right? So there's no US at the time. Um, and then in 2014, uh, Skybet, who were based in Leeds in the north of England, uh, were starting to make some move in the sort of sports book world and and slightly patronizing but sky's like espn in the uk right the big premier broadcaster of, of sports um and we were setting up the sports with division there i've been going a few years and it was starting to gain a bit of traction so i went there to head up the soccer trading team um and it was a great time the uk market was was growing phenomenally uh, it was really like the smartphone um 
sort of came about about that sort of time everyone was creating native apps and and the market was just growing sort of 30 40 percent year on year we were growing at more than that we did a brilliant job of just focusing on the customer experience basically um, just anything the customers said they wanted fixing we would just listen to them and try and go fix it uh, so it was a good really good few years Skybet were bought by Flutter, who owned FanDuel and Foxbet and others um, in end of 2019. And so last year, I just felt after seven years, time was right, find another challenge, basically. So that's sort of uh, long story short. I then actually went and did, a, I knew a few people running um, a sportsbook in, that were uh, about the second biggest sportsbook in Nigeria, and we're looking to expand into all of Africa, and they just had a load of funding. So I actually went there at the turn of this year for a few months. And it was a really, it's, it's a really interesting potential growth story, Africa. But then the Fanatics team got in touch, um, you know, a couple of months into that. And, and the rest is history, I guess. And here I am. Fanatics. So <clears throat> quick, quick question. Can you explain to people, our listeners, what spread betting is? Because they, they, they may not know. Yes. Sorry, of course. Yeah. So spread betting. So th- the what's the best way? So think about like... Um, a, a basketball game right the spread might be 210 points would be the fixed odds and obviously you bet over and under if you're betting fixed odds uh at minus 110 minus 110 so spreads betting is more you think there's going to be more points than the quote and more than the 210 and you would basically say i want to buy 10 bucks a point and for every point it goes over you make ten dollars for every point it comes under that line you lose ten dollars so it's a way more volatile form of of betting um with with real high highs and and some incredibly low lows for for customers basically um so i hope that makes sense i think rufus you're familiar with it i'm sure i am we were able to bet at sporting index way back when it's i mean it's the same as is there isn't a difference right with the points betting right it's just no exactly yeah same thing yeah yeah so your leverage you can you can win or lose a lot easily win or lose a lot easily yes yeah i wanted to so you talked about your time trading and i feel like for a lot of people you hear okay you hear about these traders but but i guess for people that haven't actually been on a trading floor of a sports book like we don't really know what it is exactly like what what i mean you're you're setting lines you're moving numbers like can you kind of give a little peek behind the curtain uh yeah of course yeah so probably like two broadly speaking two parts to it so one would be what is the mathematical probability of this event occurring, right? So obviously there's data, there's reams and reams of data, and there's more data now than there's ever been before. But so going back to when I started out, going back to sort of 15 years, you've got an amount of data, and, and excuse my sort of British example, but I was on the soccer desk, we were trying to work out how many corners will there be in a Barcelona game, for example, right? So you go and look at how many corners are there on average Barcelona home games, uh, Barcelona away games, the other team, blah, blah, blah. So you've got all this data and you, and you then trying to work out, as I say, the, the correct mathematical price. You might then say, you know what, here's the maths behind this, but what do customers expect the price to be? What are they prepared to pay for this product? Which is probably similar in, in most e-commerce businesses. And so you're looking at your competitors, where have they pitched the price? You're looking at previous business from uh, from your sharp customers. Do they always go under Barcelona corners? You know, whatever it might be. Uh, and you're factoring that into the, to the price as well. And obviously once you're happy and you put the price live, really your job then is to be monitored and, and Think about a sports books at DraftKings or FanDuel. There's probably a million prices on on their app at any one time. So there's an awful lot to manage. But you're then reacting to new news as it comes into the market. So back to my Barcelona corners example, their their wide player might be out injured. Who wins all their corners for them? So now you've got to go and rethink the price. Um, equally sharp sharp money might be coming, or money that you respect might be coming. So again, you're just reacting all the time to to um, everything around that price basically might be a weather change like it could be anything there's there's things to react to so the mathematics and then the 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 response to new um new information so do you have a feed where you're seeing all these bets come in and deciding whether to move a line and i mean if it sounds like you're you know if you're making lines and having to monitor lines like i mean it just sounds like everything happening at once yeah, there's a lot happening at once. So depending on the size of the team and how you want to organize yourselves, different sports will do this differently. But 
the way we're thinking about it at Fanatic. So um, a, uh, a friend of yours, Rufus, a guy called Chris Vargis, who you, you know well, um, has joined Fanatics recently. He's going to be running basically the risk team for us. So effectively, their job is once a price is created and is on site, then manage that. So manage that sharp business, react to, to money, see where we sat in the marketplace. There's then a, the compilation team, which will be more about creating that initial price, really, and then still feeding in information and, and obviously pushing and pulling prices around, reacting to information in the market. But so we try to segment those roles a little bit more to reduce the chaos, as you as you rightly just described, really. So one thing I, I wanted to ask really quickly about, and I think that this is kind of a topic of conversation among sharper betters, is auto movers. And for people that don't know what that is, like basically having software that will automatically move a price, odds align, um, as a function of bets coming in based on how the customer is profiled mm-hmm. um, and the volume of the bet. Um, did you do you are you all planning on doing like having those um is there a reason we don't see more of those in the united states than we do with like the pinnacles of the world the bet chris's yeah so i think there's probably a few bits to that so in the in the i think depending on the size of your operation the scalability matters right if you've got five million customers every day and therefore there's like i don't know 20 million bets a day you obviously can't react to every single bet coming in. You can't expect someone to eyeball a, a list of bets as they come through. And actually, the vast majority just wouldn't. You'd set up your risk, proprietary risk tool so you'd never see those bets. It's like, alert me to sharp business. Then you've got a decision to make about, because this, this, this is a get to the right number game, but it's also like, uh, you know, you're running a sports book, so you've got to also attract business as well as get to the right price. So that's my point around what's the mathematical price or what's the trading price here. And so if you think about, you might see, you know, we're not live, so I'm, it's not fair to use myself, but say, let's say DraftKings in New Jersey are laying a load of business on Giants on the Sunday. Well, and, and I don't know the business at all, so this might not be true, but just because you're laying a load of business there, you might not necessarily want to immediately shorten the odds because you've still got to attract and retain customers who in Jersey are probably Giants fans and want to back the Giants. So I think with auto movers, there's a time and a place for them where you, they, they're useful to you. Um, and then there's a time and a place where it needs more a more joined up think thought process around like what are we trying to achieve as a sports book, not just the trading team. That makes about, sense. Does that makes sense. And I, I would think I would think even right, like I guess ideally you'd create a mover that accomplishes that goal, right? You yeah. Whatever that goal might be. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean the, yeah, these things are all aut- automatable, aren't they? It's not beyond the wit of man to automate somebody clicking buttons and making decisions uh, hell it's something i think about every day for my own betting stuff yeah of course yeah. as much yeah, as possible right. right yeah 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 so switching gears a little bit um just curious about what drew you to this role at fanatics and why fanatics is sort of the next move for andy right um it's a good question so the look the story's very believable isn't it it's uh you know, it's a fantastic brand in the sports world. Michael Rubin and team have done a, you know, an unbelievably good job of, of getting to the size that they've gotten to fairly quickly. Um, and so the US is is exciting. I feel like I did a good job in the UK, which is the biggest market in the world in, in our industry. Until uh, until Q3, actually, I think the US has just gone past it in terms of handle. But um I feel like I did a good job in the UK and the US is, is, is you know, is a fascinating market. And I think the Fanatics, um, the, the opportunity at Fanatics to really compete with the other tier ones is, is there to be seen. Like it's not, it's, it's you know, it's a much talked about the size of that customer database that we've, we've got access to. It's much talked about the relationships with the leagues and the teams, obviously the ambition of the business overall. Um, and really, I, I I just believe that, and not just betting and gaming, but the, the trading cards uh, division, you know, the merchandise division is doing a brilliant job. But there's there's a bigger, 
there's a bigger sports ecosystem out there that fanatics can can play a big part in and excited to build something from scratch but within within a big business that's got that's got the um you know the the, the backing to have a to, to be ambitious and have a crack at this basically so what um are you most excited about in regards to sort of the u.s market I'm ex- on a personal level. I'm excited. I mean, you're excited about the size of it, right? The potential is ridiculous, as we as we all know. You know, don't need to get into you know California and Florida and Texas, but it's big enough anyway, and it's going to keep growing. And we see the the month on month numbers, and the organic growth is there. So that's really exciting. I'm excited on a personal level about learning a new about a new culture and a new customer base. Like I think I've probably built up over the years good ways of working and pretty good methodologies of understanding how to find out what customers want but i think the solutions are probably different in the us to what they are in the uk and what they are in europe like some of them will cross over of course right it's ultimately a transactional um thing that we do but uh so i'm i'm really interested in just in in frankly testing myself to see can i transfer from one market to to another um and along with as i say the, the the size of the size of the market and and the quality of the people that i'm i'm sort of going up against basically so i'm sure you've followed you know the overall blowback that the us market has received in terms of you know banning sharp players or not not allowing mm-hmm. sharp players to bet um what's your sort of take on that and what do you think the philosophy of fanatics will be as they go into the us market Particularly around sharps, Jeff. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Risk sharps and in, in, in general, like hold percentage and and you know, like I don't know if you listened to the episode last week where we talked a lot about hold percentage and yeah. uh and and creating a sustainable environment for betters where betters are not losing their shirt every day because the yeah. you know the the actual um books are trying so hard to increase their margin that they're creating an almost an unfair game that burns players out um, before they even get a chance to sort of enjoy sports betting. Yeah. Um, kind of yeah, interested okay. in so, your take on that. Yeah, definitely. And there's, there's a lot in that, right? So I'll start with, let's start with the hold rate. So this is, this is the, I think, Frankly, this is the hardest question to find your optimal hold rate or your optimal profit margin in probably like most industries is, is the absolute like crux question, isn't it? Like, um, you know, we're an entertainment, we're a form of entertainment. And so there's there's a scale of customers here where on one end of this spectrum, you've got a customer who's going to turn up every Monday night because I'm sat down watching Monday night football at home. I'm going to have a couple of bets to make it more entertaining. And I'm going to buy, I'm basically buying lottery tickets. I'm going to have a $20 bet to win $2,000 or whatever on a you know same game parlay. That might be their choice. Then there's other customers obviously come to their app and they know exactly what they want to bet on because they, they've done their research, they've, they've looked at whatever it might be, ESPN, Action or whatever, whatever they've done, right? And so that's, that's a big spectrum there, and, and, and most customers are sort of somewhere in the middle of that. But in my head, you have to cater for, for that entire spectrum. So I think something like Same Game Parlay, and, and it's, again, very popular in, in the UK and, and whatnot as well. If customers want that, then we should, that should be available to them. I think then the other end of that spectrum, customers come and they would just want to back Aaron Judge home run or whatever the price is, like make that as easy as possible to find and make the, the odds as good as you can get them so that so that you're appealing and attracting, uh, appealing to that customer and attracting and retaining that customer as well. So the, I suppose the point of that is like, Hold rates are a function of two things. It's like we can present things in a we as in the industry can present things in a way to customers, but equally the customers have the choice ultimately to not have a bet or to have a bet on a thing or to have a bet on a different thing. So, um, but the yeah the optimal hold rate is is a, is a fascinating challenge and one I'm as we as we go live at Fanatics I'm really interested just to see the data and see is there differences between different sports is there a difference between different customer segments different demographics like what 
what is the optimal hold rate? You can, there's many parallels to draw. If you go to the movies and watch four terrible films in a row, you probably never go back again, right? If you have four bets in a row, they never win. Or when they do win, you don't get much money back. Like you're not going to keep, keep betting, are you? So we, we've got a responsibility to keep sports betting entertaining and keep customers coming back. It's interesting. I mean, I've never thought of it in terms of like hold rate being the thing you're optimizing for just because, I mean, like parlays are in essence more, the, the, the hold rate on parlays is higher, but it's you're, the customer is in essence betting more money. They're leveraging. So it's, I don't know, I, th- I think of it more as a, um, like based on the market type and all that, but I guess it, um, but I, I found your answer illuminating, but um, I want to know. Wait, can we when finish the second part of the question, which is about yeah, sharps cool. and sharps, how he'll, yeah. he'll be dealing with sharps? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and can I, I want to add something yeah. to the end of that question in yeah. terms of how will you do, I, I kind of want, like, I want to know how you're going to do things differently than what operators are doing now. Because, I mean, I think that, yeah, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, okay. So, so sharps, right? So, and again, I mentioned Chris earlier, we've had a lot of conversations about this. So my personal philosophy is that there's, like there's value in every bet that as a sports book, every bet I lay, there's value in that bet. Majority of the time, the value is just the obvious expected value, the positive EV, the VIG, the margin, right? But there's obviously customers like yourselves, like other sharp customers who the value is information. Like you have information that I don't have. You are, you have a better model on a certain market than I have. I've got to put a million prices on that app every day and they change every day. There's a new set of baseball fixtures, new set of basketball fixtures, right? So we, let's be honest, and, and I don't think anyone in the industry would claim otherwise, not every single one of those million prices is absolutely bang on correct. It can't be. Like we're, This is mass market and, and we're trying to scale and offer that half a million events per year, whatever it might be. So back to my point is, so there's positive expected value for us, fine. Right? We know what that is. But the bit about the negative value for us, I think we have to take that as a flag and make us better. Like that is information that we, the, the onus is on us to trade better or have our, like, just create better prices, focus more on those markets and almost um, utilize that that information that we're getting we're, we're we're in a weird way you could think of it transactionally if you want is rufus wins i don't know, make up a number 100 grand a year off bookmaker xyz like they're, they're effectively paying you that money to make their golf model better right so i i think that we've got to do the industry needs to do a better job of a identifying sharp customers at the outset but what are they sharp what makes them sharp what are they doing to be better than us like what is their edge and then secondly once you identified them there's definitely definitely place to give those customers a more like frankly a fairer and just better experience like we're 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 trying to give all customers a, a good sports betting experience most of the customers are, are recreational and they're doing it for the enjoyment of sport to add to their enjoyment of sport. Some are in the sharp camp, but still deserve, a, like a, in my mind, a fair and, and decent experience from that. I'm not going to sit here and say we'll never lower the limits on a certain customer for a certain time frame, but I do think the onus is on us to get better at trading and, and use that information to do that. How much are you going to let Rufus bet on golf matchups? Now we're, we're into the now we're into the weeds, aren't we? And we're going to hold you to this. I know this is the beauty, sort of the oh, beauty. Is this. We're not live yet, so I, you can't fact check me as soon as I come off the call, <laughs> can we? Um, I'm not going to say on I'm not going to say on air how much we're going to lay you. I need to, but I'll tell you what I will do though, Rufus. Is is off air? We'll have a chat about what you think a fair number is, and, and I'm like, I'd love to if you've got the time, love to have that conversation because hey, I think hey, just. Or, 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 you know, you can plug into an, I'll hook up an API to you guys and you pay and, and we figure out a way to make it worth my while. There you go. Maybe it's that. Maybe, Maybe it's, that. it's that. Automate. There you go. Automate getting paid. Although now that I've said this out loud, then everybody would know that, well, then, <laughs> yeah. it, then it's worth more to you guys. Maybe. Maybe. Then Maybe everybody's going to copy your golf numbers. Exactly. 
but no, look, that's that's actually that's the kind of thing uh, that we've been discussing internally. Is and again, it's not scalable. But do we have Rufus? We, Rufus specifically? We've we been discussing Rufus. No, we haven't discussed Rufus specifically internally. But someone know. of your someone of that ilk. Do you do you have a phone? Do you have a call? Do you go for a beer with them? And you're just like, look, what is a number that's acceptable? I don't want to I don't want to piss you guys off. So what is the number that's acceptable? Can we get to a a win win situation here? Basically. Well, Andy, do you know the story about how I met Fargus? No. He called me to tell me that they were reducing my limits at DraftKings on okay. um, the week after I had lost thirty two thousand dollars there, and I was like, couldn't you have called last week? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But but he explained like, but I liked how like honestly to me, I I had a ton of respect for him being like approaching me directly about it, and we talked for forty five minutes, and we found things that we had in common, and I think that a lot of people, I mean, I I think when you I don't think these relationships have to be antagonistic. Yeah, I completely agree. I completely agree. And, and yeah, completely agree. And, and it's interesting, like the market. So Rufus, your sort of follow-on point was the market and how do we, are we going to, like the market's different, isn't it? Again, you've got the likes of Circa at, probably at one end and you've got the DraftKings, FanDuel's, et cetera, maybe not, but, you know, towards the oh, other end, the more recreational side. And, and so... There's, there's a place for, for both those business models, isn't there? Um, I think. And again, it, it's about using that information um, to, to make us to make us better at what we do. You say, okay, so you say there's a place for each, but what you also said was that the onus should be on you to use the information you get from sharp wagers to make a better price and to learn from it. When, and I would assume to do that, you probably need to have things automated to a certain extent. Um, but wouldn't, isn't Circa almost, I mean, they're trying, if, if you do that, theoretically, why would you need to be on the other end of the market? If you're able to price things well enough, you're not going to be, there won't, you have less to worry about in terms of getting exploited. Yeah, of course. And I think you guys had a really good conversation last week, actually, about, you were talking about same game parlay, and, and I can't remember which one of you made the comment, but it was, I think it was right, it was around, these things are really hard, actually really hard to price. Like whether there's too much VIG in them or not, like put that to one side for a second, but running a recreational book and having this menu of like millions and millions of things is, is actually hard to price and hard to roll out to customers at the speed that customers are, are, are wanting, uh, wanting innovation and wanting new stuff. So I suppose where where those two business models collide is almost having that full menu and having really high limits and not restricting any sharp customers. Like somewhere along the line, if I've got hundred thousand customers all crying out for make up a new thing, like speed of pitch, but I've got no data on that, but everyone wants that. Like how am I pricing that up to, to and having good limits on that thing? to to you know to a mass market well jeff i think that segues into a yeah that's you want to talk about in terms good of question yeah. about innovation and really where you know you and i talked a little bit about this in our in our prep call and i know that you guys probably have some amazing things coming to market but what what are you most excited or where do you see innovation in this space happening because right now i think all of us that are looking at what's happening in the u.s and we're pretty depressed at the amount of innovation that's actually happening from a from mm. a sports book standpoint yeah i think um i haven't been in the market long enough right but from speaking to people and obviously i was at flutter so sort of knew some of the fangirl guys i think it's been hard given the 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 necessity to open up in new states as quickly as as, as has happened i know it felt probably slow but there's been a lot of states has opened up in in a fairly short period of time so i think if you're looking to the big recreational sports books to be able to stop and pause and think about what's next i'm i'm not convinced it comes necessarily from there i think there's i mean you guys would have been at g3 last week there'll be there's so many brilliant minds around this industry now more and more as this industry keeps growing and there's more money to be made there's more brilliant people getting yeah, but there's involved. also more dumb people in the industry too there's, there's forever be dumb people in in, in the industry yes yeah, true um so I think that the innovation will come from from away from the big recreational sports books. This is just gut feel, right? 
and it'll be more those who've got time to really think about it. I think it'll be an element of being customer-led. I think something like social betting is an interesting concept, but I'm not sure it's come from customers who are really demanding it or if it's come from people who think customers need it. I'm fascinated to see, you mentioned sport trade earlier, fascinated to see how exchanges go in the US. I think, like, go back a while and the Betfair exchange was was doing great guns in the UK and it sort of lost its way a little bit for a few reasons but um, I don't see why there's not a place for for, an, for a good exchange with good liquidity obviously wire act is, is an issue um, and then I suppose all the talk at the moment is like micro markets kind of thing but I'm not sure how how much more you can do with that until there's more data and and like real time if we're thinking about in play and we're thinking about like where's the data coming from for you know there's a lot of data around but is it being collected at the speed at which we could we could offer markets um and then is that data historical enough we can share with customers so they can start to uh see how bets can win or see trends or whatever it might be so i probably answered there's probably four or five bits to my answer there but um, I mean, your answer was essentially that the stuff that's happening in the US and you're not overly excited about any of them, <laughs> really, because like that, again, the core to me is, you know, like the the micro trend, right, is to your point, the data's not there. And I don't, do we really need more things to be betting on in game when, you know, the, the experience right now is not great. It's delayed. It's, you know, mm. you don't, your bets don't go through all the time. And I don't see that changing anytime in the near future. Um, so I and think that's, from, yeah, sorry, Jeff, go on. Carry on no, go ahead. I was just gonna say, I think that's sort of to my point about data and there needs to be innovation in data capture. Like it's yeah. still a person sat with a laptop in a stadium, clicking buttons or, like that. Surely there has to be personal view again. That, that, that it feels like that could be there could be innovation there, which would reduce the latency, make things, make the in-play experience far, far. Yeah, I mean, there's with computer vision, you you have obviously better chances to make things automated than having, you know, spotters or whatever stringers, yeah. whatever you call them, on the court. Um, I think there is always this latency problem. There's a broadcast latency problem. There's a problem with like pipes even out of the arenas being good enough yeah. to do what you need to do. Um, and again, that's why you go back to this idea of micro betting and the promise of micro betting is much better than the actual reality of it. And so I, I, you know, I, I understand a hundred percent that the incumbents are beholden to this idea of land grab market share, getting more markets. So that's not where the innovation comes from. I would just like, and, and you know, what's interesting is I think on our last podcast, someone commented about like, oh, well, it's interesting to to hear someone that's thinking a lot about the experience for the better, meaning Captain Jack was like thinking about that. Yeah. You know, I would just challenge you as you enter the US. It's like, what is that experience like for the for the better itself? Like there's no there's no business that I've ever heard of that cares so little about the experience for the better. And I'm not saying you specifically or, yeah. or, but, but, you know, if I went to Jason Robbins and asked him whether he cares about the experience for the better, I would be scared to hear the answer. Mm. So I think, um, I think I probably glossed over it too much at the beginning, but certainly the, the main thing I learned or have learned from being in this industry for that period of time is do your research with customers, watch what they do, but also listen to what they're saying. Like if they leave you, why have you left? Like, why are you frustrated with this, with this experience, et cetera, et cetera. So ex exactly to what you're saying. And so innovation, I would probably answer your innovation question more thinking about like new bolt-ons to the industry. But for me, um, I completely agree with what you just said. You know, in, why is there a bet delay in play? Like, could that is could that be a thing of the past? I think it's a bit of a legacy thing. It, why is there a uh, you know why do rejected bets happen, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. Like there could just be it could be far more seamless. Um, even like you know payment solutions could that be could that withdrawal process could that be quicker? Like getting your money back from a from a sportsbook, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So uh, agreed around that. I think I honed in on let's say sort of exchange and social betting and stuff. Rufus, you have anything else? Otherwise, we can. Let him ask, answer our seven questions, and then we can let him go. 
I, I don't have anything else. I think uh, I think we covered covered what we wanted to. I, I'm yeah. My my question I put I, I don't want to actually ask anymore. So. <laughs> All right. Seven we, questions. We covered that. We covered that topic. So. Right, okay. Seven questions. First one: funnier, Rufus or Jeff? Um, it's Rufus's birthday, so I'm gonna I'm gonna pay him a compliment here and say he's much funnier than you, Jeff. All right. Well, then I think we know the answer to Thanks. smarter. It, also, Rufus. It's funny. Birthday. I mean, Jeff. Jeff. Jeff still hasn't said happy birthday to me. Andy t- said happy birthday to me before we came on. Even your buddy Daryl Morey. Said happy birthday to me, but nothing from Jeff. You sound you sound hurt. I, I For do. That sound reason hurt. itself, I'm not going to say happy birthday. Oh, okay. <laughs> Smarter. Smarter. Um, given we spent the first nine minutes of this call for you trying to get your microphone to work again, there's an easy answer here, isn't it? Rufus's microphone works seamlessly from the beginning. Rufus is smarter. Happy birthday. Uh, least refa- relatable food that you like. Um. This might be way too British, but crumpets with marmite. Yeah, that's can not relatable. You, can you no. explain to people what that is? Uh, then it becomes relatable. Well, relatable. So you know what a crumpet is, yeah? No, not really. I've heard of it. It's like something a, British people eat. Yeah, like a like a doughy sort of cake with holes in it, and the butter seeps through. And then you know, you, yeah, are you with me? No, Jeff's face is a picture here. No, I'm um, with you. Okay, and then Marmite is like a... I know what Marmite is. The yeah. Aussies love it. Everyone Marmite it. sounds like a, like, a bad anim- like a bad insect that you like, might see. It tastes <laughs> like it was laced with explosives. Yeah, right, well, yeah. anyway, crumpets with Marmite. There's my answer. Okay, there we... <laughs> Favorite gambling moment? Ever. 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 My favorite ever gambling moment? It was a bit bittersweet. So I was um, so in 2016, and again, soccer example, apologies, but 2016, Leicester City won the Premier League. They were 5,000 to one to win the Premier League at the start of that season. I went to university very close to Leicester and had a season ticket for a couple of years. And so lots of my university pals thought of me as a big Leicester City fan. So, But I was also head of soccer at Skybet and we'd lost the biggest amount of money we'd ever lost on anything because Leicester were 5,000 to one at the start of the season. So very sort of bittersweet moment where all my old buddies getting in touch like, oh, go on Leicester. And then the CFO is dragging me into the office explaining for me to explain how we've lost multiple millions of pounds on on a a rank outsider. That was an interesting time. Favorite bet you are making in the next year? Corporate hats on, the first bet I place in a Fanatics retail store. Will you be allowed to bet that bet at the at the the books? With uh no, but with um with test money. Got it. Uh worst loss you've ever had. Maybe that, right? Leicester City. Uh yeah, as a so so as um I talked earlier about starting out at Sporting Index, so quick anecdote. It was a tough trading floor and everyone was like trying to build a reputation. And I was put down as a junior trader to trade darts on a Thursday night. I didn't really know anything about darts. But anyway, I did a load of homework, looking at all the numbers, and I found what I thought was a brilliant bet. And this darts player called Terry Jenkins get the highest checkout. So basically like checkout 120. Okay, tell me if I'm losing you at any point. Great bet. I told the whole office. I'm like junior trader excited here. Like this is, the, this is a great bet. I found an absolute gem for us here. Uh, put it in the the it used to be like a an email would go out called traders tips to the whole business. So I've now told the whole trading floor these guys have got thirty years experience. I've told the whole business. So I'm there trading the game. I'm in the middle of the trading floor. But anyway, Terry Jenkins uh, plays terribly. He loses. The, he ends up losing the match eight nil. So he doesn't have a single checkout, let alone like the highest checkout. So it was uh, incredibly embarrassing, uh, and I was absolutely devastated. But thankfully. They didn't fire me on the spot, um, and I've managed to retain my credibility somehow. Then finally, person you follow blindly, or if, if there is one. So, um, in the in, I've met quite some some really good people in the US or in the last couple of months, obviously. And the one I would say, and and he's a friend of the show, but Matt Davidow, I would follow blindly, having spent some time with him. Um, that would be my answer. 
That, that's pretty much what I say is everyone's answer. So that's that was it. All right. <laughs> okay. What well, Matt seems, does Matt yeah. give that answer himself as well? No, Matt would never do that. He's too humble. So maybe um, my answer should have been whoever Matt would say is who I would follow blindly. Okay. Well, I would be better following Matt blindly, though. Okay. Well, Andy, thank you for the time. Uh, best of luck with your launch, upcoming launch. And after you launch, we'll love to have you on again and talk a little bit about all the things you said today that you no longer believe um, based on actually being live <laughs> in, in, in uh, the U.S. So thank you for having us and uh, happy birthday again, Rufus. Thanks, Andy. Enjoyed it. Speak, speak to you soon. So that was our interview with Andy Wright, who, um, you know, I think really gave some interesting insights into sort of betting and sort of the traditional work. I mean, what did you like most about the interview, Rufus? He's, I know you liked it a lot. Yeah. And I also like some of the stuff we were able to talk about off um, camera too, but I, I, I mean, he's someone who's been in this industry for a while and I think he sees all sides of it. And I think he actually wants to get to um, a solution. I don't want to say a solution, but, but I think he's approaching this in a way, as you mentioned, Jeff, where he's actually thinking a little bit more about the better and not just um, and not in just an adversarial way. Got it. That makes sense. You? Um, I mean, I mean, I generally thought it was, a, it was a really good, it, you know, it was thoughtful. And I, I just hope that we feel the same way about him after fanatics comes into the market and you know what I mean? Like actions speak louder than words. And I hope his actions yeah. speak as loud as his words were. I, I mean, I still remember emails with, um, or, or I think he was talking to captain Jack or somebody else about the, um, the CEO of points bet and and now he'd always be like oh yeah we're we're gonna take big limits like we're we're you know and it was just like we're we're gonna do this we're gonna do that we're doing this we're doing that and you know they weren't right it's like you can say these things but i mean just like um william hill and joe asher we don't kick out winning betters right so i agree actions do speak louder than words but i'd rather hear the words than not hear the words and he seems like a genuinely nice guy and i'm looking okay. forward to having beers with him next week in new york city cool I can be okay. So where are you guys going to go for beers and what kind of beer are you going to have? I don't know. What kind of unrelatable beer are you going to have? No idea. Which segues well into our question for you this week. This is actually a question that came in last week and I like it so much that I uh, said we would talk about it. The person said I was a liar and I actually was saying we would talk about it this week. This comes from Jay Scott Smith which is at Sunday, his handle is at Sunday Spectator. And his question is, who is more unrelatable, you or Jeff? And there's a follow-up question to it. Who's more unrelatable? Yeah, me or you. I think you're more unrelatable, Jeff. <laughs> I do. I think, I, think I, think, you're, I think you're more I think, unrelatable, okay. but that's okay. I mean, you were this, you were on the MIT Blackjack team, okay? That's and made all this money we don't know how much and i don't want to say a number um and then you know you went and you created multiple startups and you like were the vice president at microsoft and you i don't know i mean i feel like you are i think you're more unrelatable because you also think about things at such a different level than most people do well, it's like, it's like to me, David Al's unrelatable because I like see his brain and it's just like going like I'm like, like so unrelatable to yeah. you is is almost like a compliment. It sounds like. Yeah. I love sure. that. I keep talking into this mic as if it's working and it's I'm just it's not working. So actually, I think it was. Was it working? Yeah, it sounds it sounds louder. Maybe 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 that's the area of the computer that where the. Wait, so the files are in the computer. The files okay. are in the computer. Well, so I, I would think, I think you're more unrelatable because similarly had to how you are talking, like the way that you think is so unrelatable and like the things, like the things that you end up valuing in the world are very unrelatable. Not in a, not in like a bad way, but like, I think we're probably both very unrelatable in some ways, but like, I, mean, I, I think I'm, I'm I mean, perspective and I've thought about things because maybe, maybe this is true. Maybe most people don't have the life experiences and the, I don't know, to, to 
lead them to a place to really that, like that statement right there questions. makes you unrelatable. Most people don't have the experiences, life experience that I've had that have made Look, me so reflective I, actually, and Buddhist. Maybe you're right, but but because I think that betting has made his had a profound you have this like aura of like reaching a higher level of zen which makes you unrelatable right like that's me oh, I'm, I'm like i'm just like I, i'm still in beginner mode man yeah okay I'm on a, yeah and then I'm, the I'm question no we're all madden yet don't worry the related question is what culinary experience is the most unrelatable for your seven listeners is it? It's a. It's to. It's a follow-up question to that. Yeah, other yeah. What, okay. Which is the culinary experience you've had that's been the most unrelatable for your seven listeners? Delilah. I don't know. I mean, I don't. I. I, never I eaten don't know. Delilah. Who, have you? No, but I mean, you. But I've been there for and had a glass of wine there and seen a plate with no food left. Or so many what? What makes that left. unrelatable? That it's. I don't. I mean. So what? What makes what makes a culinary experience unrelatable? Um. Okay, maybe it's okay. I'll give you an unrelatable culinary experience. I have I have one. I was in Vietnam in 2014, motorbiking from Hue to Hoi An, um, and we and stopped with my girlfriend at the time, and we uh, stopped at it was a Friday night, and we stopped at this like local place in Da Nang, and nobody spoke any English. Um, they, you know, the best we could do was like you try to use Google translate, but the internet there wasn't very good either. And so the first thing they do is they come out with these like warm beers. It's like, Oh, you, the, everybody there had like a six pack of warm beers, right? That's, that's the thing there. And then we try to make some order. Um, we get this like salad with this like sort of gelatinous thing, stuff on top. And, and afterwards, like we try, I was like, Oh, it's okay. It's weird salad thing. Um, we ate raw. It was a raw jellyfish salad. So that might be kind of unrelatable. I've eaten raw jellyfish since I was a kid. Well, so maybe that's it's relatable also. to you, which probably means it's very unrelatable to. I don't think relatable necessarily mean unrelatable. This word is an amazing word because I don't know if anyone. It's kind of like relatable is so subjective. It's kind of like, like it's kind of like the number seven. What the amount like, of listeners we have? Yeah. What are you talking about? It's very subjective. Right. Seven Some people time. download our podcast and don't actually listen to it. I mean, like 99%. Okay. It's my mom um, hitting download over and over and over again. Can't wait one day to meet your mom. <laughs> well, I would have met her at the wedding, oh. right? If the wedding hunting would called off, I probably would have. Yeah, yeah. You, I mean, you would have, yeah. I'm assuming I'd be invited, so there you go. You, you would have been invited, Jeff. Yes. You, yeah. Okay. Uh, pick of the week. Do we want to talk about pick of the week or is it like um, fight club? I think, the first okay. Do we, do you remember what your pick about? was? Do you remember what yours was last I week? Do. It, I do. I lost it. It was Carolina plus the 10 and a half over the Rams. I actually got a little bit of CLV because it closed at 10. Um, mm-hmm. But um, I did not win that bet. I mean, it, it, you know, honestly, I don't think I deserved to win that bet because Carolina was just so bad offensively. They could not do anything. Um, the Rams weren't, weren't any, the Rams weren't any bargain either. So like the, the part of the bet that I said, which is that Rams don't deserve to be over, you know, whatever double digit favorites over anyone. Um, but turns out Carolina is not particularly good and and PJ Walker is not particularly good. So, so yeah, so I'm one and two. And I know that, you are now. You are you lost your first one, so you're three I, and I had, one. Right? I, I had another Carolina, right? Did I? I believe you I had no Carolina minus the, on the road against Duke. Yeah, yeah. I actually had another good week overall, but lost that one. It's uh, where it's I been know, an I interesting your, football. I cherry picked your bet Saturday on Saturday. Uh, how'd you do? Saturday morning. I did well on. The, I didn't. Some of them had moved enough that I didn't feel comfortable betting on them. But if there was only like a half point of, of CLV loss, as long as it was a key number, I still bet him. And I, I did well. I did well on those. What's interesting is our friend who um, we were golfing with, um, who, well, or, or somebody who knows, has seen my golf, not my golf picks, my football plays over the years. Um, I won't say anything more about that. Was saying that like over the long term, we're, We've returned like 3.8%. But no, he was saying your college football stuff is really good, even it, though it doesn't it's always It's good, get but it CLV. doesn't, it doesn't get a, like, but that's been the case for years, which is interesting. It yeah. still makes me dubious and suspicious of my own stuff. 
Um, I'm and, dubious and suspicious of you generally, so that makes I sense. I mean, I, I am too. So it, that that's fair. Okay, so what are we what are we picking this week, Jeff? We're picking games. Which one? Which which games? I'm gonna I'm gonna take. Oh my god, this is such an ugly game. This is such like a. This is such a um, uh, square side that I'm taking, but I'm still going to take it. I'm going to take Kansas City Chiefs minus the two and a half against the Niners. Ooh. I'm assuming that the Niners are still going to be missing a bunch of guys in which on defense, in which case I don't think their defense is as good as it normally is. And then um, I think the Chiefs will be able to move the ball. Um the Niners are. I don't know. This is. Let me see. What do I make it? Oh, I, I, I disagree. I disagree. What do you make it? I, I make, I make it. San Francisco minus point nine. Mm, so you actually like Kansas? You like San Francisco in this game for sure? Yeah. If I was, if I was, already betting, if I was, I haven't been betting NFL sides or totals. I've just been ignoring the NFL basically. Okay. Well, like I'm not going to I'm not going to yes. bet that. I'm not that's not going to be my pick then because it disagrees so much with Massey Peabody and Rufus. I'm not going to take that one. Okay. I will but, but, but I will... you're free you're free rolling in a way though because if it wins you'll you you can just no, no, come no. on not, and just It's not it's not like, it's oh, not Rufus, see, I was right. You were it's wrong. It's not it's not I'm not I'm never going to mention it as something I like before, like I again. Know. I'm okay. going to take the Lions plus the 7 minus 105 against the Cowboys. Another one I don't like. <laughs> you're like, you're like, there's no way he won't not like the big underdog. Dax no, Beth. I mean, I just, I, yeah, no, I'm going to take that. Okay. Off a of bye. Dak coming back might be a little, you know, whatever. Cowboys yeah. coming off the Philly. Yeah, I, I'll take that. Lions plus, it's minus 105 on Chris. So I feel like maybe if you wait around, you can get a seven and a half. So it might be worth waiting. But my, my pick will be graded at seven. I think you will be able to get a seven and a half because I think it's going to go up. That's what I said. Yeah, yeah I know. I, I'm just reinforcing that the market is going to move against you. Yes, I agree. Okay, I'm going to take, let me make sure of the price. Um, where are they? Oh, it's, is it six and a half or seven? What are you seeing? By the way, did you see that I got crap from someone about front running or called our listeners? Yeah, well, that's because I mentioned, that's because you did. The, anyway, the this the seven was still pretty readily available when we launched the when we even I'm on sure. on Sunday. So I'm not I Jeff. Don't feel how do you feel about the lack of respect to your for, that your bet was getting then? I mean, I don't get any respect in any circle, so that's fine. Okay, I'm gonna take I'm gonna stick with college because that's what I've been collage been doing the collage, um, and I'm gonna take um, and I'm also gonna do another game with from a more marquee conference, and I'm gonna take West Virginia. Um, is a road underdog of we got it at seven, but I believe it is no, we we didn't get it seven actually. Um, I think there was a seven at circuit at one point, but uh, plus six and a half, West Virginia plus six and a half against Texas Tech. Um, yeah, yeah, nothing else to say about that. No, uh, Texas Tech has a lot of injuries, their starting quarterback could be coming back soon. The tight end for West Virginia is injured. They may get their senior cornerback back. We have, we're doing a little more qualitative looking into of things that we show edges on. So, do you know who West yeah. Virginia's quarterback is? I said cornerback. No, I'm asking. Do you know who their quarterback quarterback is? No, I know who he used to be. the the do The guy I called Doge. I don't know if that was pronounced. I don't know if it still is. It was like Dogie or whatever. Do I, I like calling him Doge. Doge Cat? Doge. Um I think West Virginia's quarterback is uh JT. What's it? It's the is the old SC then became JT Daniels. Yeah, JT Daniels. Uh, remember well, the it, it was of the a year? guy named it was I was right. It was a guy named Doge. It probably isn't pronounced that, but it's spelled D-O-E-G-E. Remember at the beginning of the year, two SC SC quarterbacks played each other in the West Virginia Pitt game? Keenan Slovis and JT Daniels? I bet it happened. Do you know where JT Daniels played last year? Georgia. Oh, Rufus, good job. What are Massey Peabody's rankings say right now about what's your top five for college? I'm pulling up right now. By the way, I think we're going to start having like a a weekly week. I can't even use words. 
rating release show at some point. That would be, that'll be cool. Um, number one. Actually, can we play Jeff, do you think you can guess them? Uh, yeah, I bet I can. Number one is Georgia. Nope. Really? Yeah. Number one's Ohio State. Number two is Georgia. Number two is Georgia. Number three is... This is easy. Michigan. Alabama. Alabama. Number four is Michigan. Tennessee. Tennessee. Number five is Michigan. Michigan. Yep. Followed by Clemson, Texas, Oregon, and Mississippi State. Texas, huh? And Utah rounds out the top 10. Interesting. Yeah. Texas. They got... uh, they got their quarterback back too. I wish you would really gotten. I wish you'd really gotten into the Calcutta, the Calcutta college Calcutta next year. We got to do it. It's next really year. fun. Yeah, I. I mean, I. It's I get it's giving you watch. a reason to sweat, but. I mean, besides your second half bets. There you go, and I also I have plenty I, to sweat anyway. Yeah. Um. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for listening, guys. Um. As always. Um. You know. Uh, listen to us and rate us on Apple Podcasts if you like this. We actually got I some good challenge. I want to challenge everybody to leave us a five star review because we were. Uh, I mean, am I allowed to say that, or is that like violate some ethics laws of podcasting? Leave whatever review you think we deserve, but because there still was that day in J- no October, end of October of two thousand and twenty, where someone paid people to give us one star reviews so we have a lot of reviews as a result of that but they're not well like don't 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 kid yourself there's some people that have given us one star reviews because oh. of just how the quality of the podcast i i kind of you know i i don't blame them either we're not for everybody we, we we're not very relatable jeff but i think it says a lot about it somebody whether they like the podcast or not and i'm not sure you can take that however you want Okay. Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you all, all again next week. Simulate system to break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. The bottom line is watered down. It seems like they don't get it. Puppeteers are about to end just running off a of Reddit.